to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hi, Jody. Hi, Where Brains Meet Beauty listeners. We are hitting your podcast feed a week early this week because it's the last day of Mental Health Awareness Month. So, Jody, how are you feeling? I'm feeling really great that I got to speak with Amy Keller Laird because this was an amazing episode. I could have talked to her for hours and I have more and more questions for her. So I can't wait to continue the conversation with Amy around mental health and what she's doing with her platform mental. That's so amazing. So it sounds like Amy mentioned she has OCD herself and it definitely just listening in on this episode. I was um, a live audience member that day and it definitely makes you think about your own experiences. And I kind of have always self-identified as a bit of a germaphobe. I called it that. And contamination OCD, when she described it, seemed like it was something similar to being a germaphobe. And that kind of made me think about if I've been using the wrong words for how I felt or, you know, just how important it is to get the terminology right and how that can sometimes be a barrier in this conversation around mental health. Right, for sure. Like, I'm not a doctor. You're not a doctor. And, you know, how do we define mental health versus mental illness? So certainly in my conversation with Amy, I might have flubbed some ways to, you know, appropriately refer to terms and conditions. And obviously, in our episode, we're not diagnosing anybody, we're just having a conversation. And it's really, really important to Amy that we all have this conversation, because that's how we're going to learn. Yeah, absolutely. We actually started thinking about mental health at Base Beauty Creative Agency through the lens of influencing after someone on the team saw a New York Times article about Lee Tillman, who left influencer status to work a regular job. And one part that really struck me from the article was this quote that said, there's no comment section at an office job. Yes, I feel a lot of empathy for people who choose influencing as a career. I think their fans think it's easy and glamorous. This is a job where like every day you wake up looking at the metrics and every night you go to sleep thinking about them and worrying about them. And it's not an it's not an easy job. So I understand um, how the grass feels greener on the other side for some influencers. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And thinking about all of the different creators in the world today and how they're at so many different ages and stages. You know, even thinking of the very young TikTok creators who are elevated super quickly, um, faster than they might have been on other platforms now with TikTok. And, you know, maybe that's something to watch too. look at things like burnout and just, you know, see how all of this affects their daily life. Well, this is a conversation that I really want to continue with Amy. And I'm really excited to bring her story to our fans, because one way or another, we're all going to be confronted by mental health and how it impacts our life and our work. Yeah, absolutely. Here is Amy Keller Laird, episode 232. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Today, we continue our influencer journey theme, where we're going to check in with the mental health side of influencing with Amy Keller-Laird, former beauty director of Allure and editor-in-chief of Women's Health. Amy is a veteran mental health advocate, having OCD herself, and her latest venture is the launch of Mental, a lifestyle platform that addresses all things mental health, an authentic and resourceful destination aiming to redefine the dialogue by showing mental health the way it's experienced every day. I'm excited to dive into the conversation about her career journey from magazines to mental. Hi, Amy. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. 
Hi, thanks so much for having me. And I'm going to use that from magazines to mental. It's my new tagline. Okay, I I just love this. And it's Mental Health Awareness Month, which yeah. I didn't actually plan. Like when we were like, Let, let's do this again. Yeah. I, I wasn't aware of it, but my team made me aware of it. And this is very cool timing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, obviously, look, mental health exists year round, but uh, it's definitely a good time for people to like, you know, raise awareness and start talking about it. And everybody kind of like gets open and busts out all their stuff during this month. Okay, let's just um, before I get into my questions, when I let you into the live, I noticed that your handle is called Club Mental. And I mean, we think of like Club Med. Is that, what, <laughs> is that where you were going with this? Um, that is not where I was going with it. But I know a lot of that comes to people's minds because we've got the M. But you know, I couldn't I could not get the mental.com URL because someone's sitting on it and I didn't have 500k at the time. So um, but I really wanted the brand to be called mental period because I wanted it to be like, it's a statement. It's mental. Um, but I also liked, you know, for the URL and for Instagram, et cetera, all of these, like there's a familiarity with the word club. It's friendly, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so if you're kind of, right, if you come in and you see mental, right, it might be, I, I, I don't know, you know, like we're, we're in a society, obviously, where stigma has, you know, gone down a little bit, but it still obviously exists in a very big way. And so there's a friendliness to the club. But um, and I'm also I also have bigger plans for creating club mentals um, down the road in my greater vision. But we're not there. I yet. love it. I, you're right about the approachability and the friendliness. I totally feel it. And it also I want to be a part of club mental. Yeah, you know, right. So um, it's super inviting. Yeah, no, right. Like I, I mean, obviously, this is a brand that welcomes people. Um, and, and what, you know, we want to look at mental health, we want to talk about mental health and show mental health, not just in a vacuum, right? I think, you know, one of the reasons I created this is because when I, you know, I, I spent 20 years in uh, magazine media, RIP, I mean, it still exists, but sadly, not in the way it once did. And I myself have OCD, as you said, and I've talked about it a lot. And if you Google me, you'll find all kinds of things that I've written about it. Um, I've also had anxiety, postpartum depression. I'm like a TMI on this front. So ask me anything. You know, when I looked around mainstream media, and this is four years ago when I started the Instagram account, um, but it's still pretty much true now. It's like if you wanted to get into mental health, right, you have like the serious mental health sites, which serve a very big purpose, you know, you've got like the hospital sites, you've got Cleveland Clinic and Mayo Clinic and all of these things, you've got the organizations, the NAMIs and the Mental Health Americas, etc, which are the nonprofits. And then you've got sort of like general wellness media, which is where I come from. So that's no slam on that, right. But it's just mental health is not the focus. They're covering many, many topics. A lot of times it gets a little bit into depending on what where you're reading this. And there's a lot of great stories now. But it's not the focus again, right. It's like, if you look at somebody's nav bar, how many of them have mental health listed there, right? They've got mindfulness, they've got wellness, mm -hmm. they've got this, they've got that. Do they have anxiety, depression, all of these things. So you kind of had a binary option, right? You could go like serious mental health, or you could sort of like dabble into like wellness mental health. And so for me, I wanted to say, well, where's the publication that would speak to me, right? Like, I'm still interested in beauty and fashion in home, I have a career, I have family relationships. So it's not like, it's just like my OCDs over here. And then like, Oh, the beauty editor Amy's over here. No, like they all come together. And so I wanted to create a site and a brand that represented that. And also like through visuals and tone of voice, right? Like I don't want to see another picture that's black and white of a sad hand coming down the rain, you know? I mean, it's like anybody who is in media or or generally knows like what stock photography is. If you go to any of those sites and type in any mental health condition, you will immediately get 
the rain photo, the hand in the rain photo, you will get the fetal position photo, you will get the, and it's like, yeah, okay, those exist, right? People, <laughs> that happens. Like I've had fetal, fetal position moments, but like most of the time I'm just like living life and like there might be low grade anxiety or whatever. Obviously if you have serious mental health conditions, you're dealing, you know, with a serious issue, but it's just like, there's such a thing called smiling depression, right? It's very common. It's like where people don't even know you have depression because you're going about your everyday life, mm -hmm. you know, kind of masking it, right? And there's a lot of things that people mask. Anyway, I'm getting off point, but the point is when you come to my site, right? Like we just did a story on dermatillomania, which is a skin picking disorder. It's also called excoriation disorder. But instead of like a woman looking sad, right? Like I illustrated it with a photo the kind of photo that might appear in, uh, you know, a fashion magazine, right? It's like this beautiful picture of a face with these like, you know, a little bit of glitter on it. And that's not to downplay the fact that you would have picked skin, but it's just like, oh, okay, I can, I want to come into this, right? I just, I just want to show things in another way and sort of like a slightly more artistic way or, you know, a way that doesn't make you feel more sad that you're looking at it and reading it. You know, because it's like all this sad black and white, like hand on head. What I love about what you're doing and why when the pitch from your publicist rolled into my inbox was like, I'm, I want to talk to Amy. This is just so unique. I mean, it's Thank like, you. like you said, your go-to is like a practitioner, hospitals, you know, research or like um, support systems or whatever they have, um, their offerings. And then there's like WebMD and Healthline, right? We're going to be like, you know, reading just sort of... Um, Kind of neutral yeah. I don't know how else to yeah. describe it but what you're doing is you're showing mental health as part of one's life and not in isolation like you said and this is the world right like if you want to meet your mental health needs and overcome them or evolve them you also have to live in the world right you can't just be by yourself right you can't right. just isolate because the goal would be to live as full life as you possibly can, even with um, whatever these um, situations are. So I think it's just so meaningful. I love that you call it mental. I mean, it's just <laughs> so disarming and important to be disarming. Yeah, I mean, right, it's sort of like, how do we cut through the noise in this day and age? And I mean, the word mental to me sticks out because it's been used as a pejorative, as an insult, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, she's so mental, right? <laughs> well, it's always, it's always she too, right? She's so mental. Like who says he's mental? So hello, patriarchy. But side note, I, I don't see why it's an insult, right? Like, uh, like nobody goes, you're so physical. Like if you have like diabetes or some other kind of chronic condition, like no one says that. And like, you want to call me mental? That's fine. Like <laughs> I am mental and like, that's okay. Because like, basically we're all mental. I, you know, and so I think it's just a taking back of the word. And I think by using it in, in everyday language in that way, it just like, that takes that, that that takes stigma busting to another mm -hmm. level of, of actually normalizing it. And when I say normalizing mental health, I don't mean like, oh, it's cute or, you know, haha. It's more like, literally, it's normal. Like, one in five people will have a mental health condition in their, you know, at any given time, and 50% of people will have a mental health condition in their lifetime. I mean, that's, that's half of all people. That's almost more than any other, you know, type of illness or, or sickness. And that's just two reports. So, you know, we know that, that people go through these things. And I think also when you can bring mental health together with other areas of life that you might consider, quote unquote, more normal, 
it can also make you feel like, oh, it's okay, right? Like, yeah, you're right. Like, I'm like burnt at work. Like, maybe I actually have some kind of like deeper anxiety, right? It sort of like allows you to come into the conversation. We recently did a story about astrology and mental health. And I thought because, you know, there's all these TikTok memes that are like, oh, I... I thought I was just an ass, but I'm really an Aries or whatever, you know? Um, I'm a double Aries, so it's funny. Wait, does that make you a double ass? <laughs> Some might say, or but d- no. Does um, one not I'm, the I'm other very, uh, I'm, no, no, no. Like, if I read any astrology thing is like so on par for me, any Aries, because I am like so Aries. I'm like so like out there. I'll try the thing, I'll do the risk. Da, 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 da. But I can also be blunt, you know, like there's things. Anyway, so as the meme would go, right, it'd be like, I thought I was just, you know, blunt. And then I found out it was OCD. Anyway, so because of all these TikTok memes, we actually talked to therapists to be like, hey, like, what's the deal with astrology and mental health? And I thought they were all going to be like, this is horrible. Everyone needs to stop it. But they were sort of like, you know what? Like, if you can use astrology to like start thinking and talking about yourself and learning things about yourself, like, hello, that's a great gateway. Of course, then you have to say what's next. You can't just be like, right, I'm a double Aries. My rising sign is Virgo. You have to be like ready and willing to do the work. And that's, you know, therapy or, you know, exploring more. But a somewhat famous astrologist also told us often people are more willing to accept things about themselves, like mental health things. Mm -hmm. Hearing it from astrology, like if it's like in the stars, than if they were to get a medical diagnosis. So if that's not like an interesting way of like normalizing mental health, right? You know, it's like, there's all kinds of ways I think we can be looking at and talking about mental health that we haven't in the past. And I don't want it to discount the place, the biggest place of treatment, which, right, is therapy or medication or, you know, connection and all of these things. But I think when you can have like more tools that's awesome. Okay, this is fascinating. So my birth date, hearing about the impact of my birth date and whatever's happening astrologically, yeah. I'm more willing to hear my, my truth, the truth about yeah. who I am and what's going on inside of me than the doctor telling me. This is crazy. I mean, I mean, I don't oh, wait, have Can a I study. not say the word crazy anymore, by the way? Is this... Um, um well, you know what? Like, I... I, I, my stance on that is like situations. Uh I mean, look, everyone has their own perspective on that. I think situations can be crazy. I try not to call a human being crazy, but it's so in the vernacular, it slips out. So, you know, like, I I don't want to be the culture police. I think I call situations crazy. I don't think I call people crazy. Yeah. Just as an instinct, I guess. I think the worst, the, the far worst thing is to use the mental health condition as an adjective, right? Like the weather's bipolar. No, it's not. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or, right, like OCD gets used a lot as an adjective, like, you know, the classic, I'm so OCD. And you're like, no, you're not. Or my boss is so OCD. Yeah, right. And so there's a lot of conversation in the mental health world about how OCD particularly, that it's, it's made OCD kind of become this like quirky thing and like everyone thinks they have it. But like really it's like OCD is about like disturbing intrusive thoughts you know I mean I actually do have contamination OCD so I do wash my hands a lot so like I do have kind of the classic type but I also have like OCD can have there's a lot of mental you know things that go on right where like thoughts pop in your head and then you feel terrible and you think this is going to happen and and this and that and so right that whole I'm so OCD like really you know 
friends, don't say it unless you actually are so OCD. Okay. I want to, we, we got off track so, <laughs> I so know. far. So I want to go way back, way back because we are a yeah. career journey show and you are here representing mental and also yourself as an influencer. And I think it's so yeah. important that in this um, theme that we have this quarter that we talk about influencing mental health uh, and not yeah. just lipstick choices. So let's go way, way, way back to you as a 10 year old. What do you want to be when you grow up? I mean, I like, I wanted to be a veterinarian for a while. <laughs> I, I have two cats now and I had two cats before then. So I don't know, but like, hello, I'm like so squeamish around blood. I mean, blood is one of my OCD fears. So I like probably would never go into the medical profession. I got into I mean, I kind of like always thought about psychology, but I never, A, thought I was going to become a beauty editor because A, like no one knew beauty editors existed. This is like pre-Instagram, right? Like what? And I, I eventually thought, okay, I'm going into journalism. When I was in high school and I was working on our high school newspaper, the Purple and Gold, go Hickman High. <laughs> and I was on the cross country team. And like every year, we would get these like disgusting ratty uniforms like out of the boxes that had been around for like 20 years and they were like falling apart or had stains on them or whatever. And then like the football team would like run out and then like brand new uniforms every time. And I was like, what, what? Like, why can we not like 20 years? Like I understand football probably brings in the money, but like, hello, it's time to like spread the wealth around for the uniforms. And I wrote like an op-ed basically in the purple and gold and voila, like a few weeks later, we got new uniforms. And I was like, I know this is like the classic, like, wow, journalism story. But like, I, I was really like, kind of shocked it happened. I like, what, like, didn't go into it thinking that was going to happen. I was basically ranting, which I still do to this day. Um, and my cross country coast was like, maybe you shouldn't have done that. But you know, it worked. It worked. And so I kind of I guess that set me down the path of journalism. So I'm curious, as a teenager, did your contamination OCD show up for you in a moment like that where you're like, this is gross and 40 people wore this uniform before me? I I mean, like looking, I, did, I wasn't diagnosed with OCD until my 20s. Looking back, I can definitely see things that happened along the way, like weird. I mean, I feel I can call myself weird because I'm talking about myself. Um, that's another thing I believe. If I want to call myself crazy, it's okay because like I'm the one talking, but you know, where I would like, and this is so weird, I, uh, but like, I would like pick weird little like tufts of carpet out of the rug and like save them in a box. That sounds serial killer like, but I believe it was probably related to OCD. Mm -hmm. I don't, I, like at the time I didn't think about it. I think I thought it was just socially unjust <laughs> that the cross country team was getting the shaft every year. I mean, I also played basketball, which is hilarious because I don't look like a basketball player, but, um, we had the same thing. I mean, maybe it was women's sports because like I, I, I you know, had had gross things like that. Um, and I actually do remember getting a pair of basketball shorts one year that had blood in them. I'm sure it was someone had their period and hadn't been washed. And my mom washed them right before the game. And I was like holding them out the window of the of the bus driving us to the basketball game to like dry them off before I put them on. So I don't know, it, like, was that OCD? Or was it just like, it's gross to wear something with someone else's period blood on it? You know, so it it, it, it really, I it really started developing more in college. And then like, I, I think escalated when I moved to New York in 1998, probably because you know, there's lots of things to touch in New York City. I don't know. I'm sure it would have happened anywhere. Well, thank you for the segue because I wanted to ask about your start in magazine world. What was your big break to get into this industry? Yeah, I mean, I, I did move to New York without a job or an apartment, though it was much easier to get jobs back then. So I don't want to be like, oh, it was so hard, um, you know, which you basically had to do, right? Like no one's hiring you with an address from Missouri. 
Like they're just not. And I applied for a bunch of jobs and I ended up getting a job as a copy editor um, at Redbook, RIP, Redbook, the, 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 the print edition at least. I didn't want to be a copy editor for life. I mean, I deeply respect that art, but it, it's a very particular type of, of detail work. Um, I still have the Hawkeye. I, I will spot a grammatical error. <laughs> People would be like, I'd be editor-in-chief of Women's Health, and I was like copy editing pages because I just like, can't stop myself. Because you can't not see it. Right? I can't not see it. But it was, it, was, it was a way in, and then eventually, you know, I was there, and the you know this is when we circulated hard copy right like a magazine page would like go around from person to person and they would sign off on it and make their comments and cut it to fit and all of these things and the beauty editor uh, a position opened in the beauty department and the beauty editor the beauty director at the time was like I really like the kind of like the comments and the edits you've been making so I kind of like bust into beauty that way again didn't really know what existed kind of fell into it I think it's a thing people go into now purposefully now but at that time I think most of the beauty editors I know from my generation were like oh yeah I kind of fell into it even though a neighbor randomly told me like oh you were into makeup and all that stuff like all the time growing up and I was like oh was I? I like, I, <laughs> so I don't know. Anyway, and, and beauty is an interesting thing if you're interested in style, but you're also interested in science. Beauty is kind of the area to go into because you can really get into delivery systems and ingredients and like efficacy and clinical studies and dermatologists and cosmetic chemists. I mean, I was the big cosmetic chemist nerd of allure. So I want to talk about when you were working, it seems like um, at some point in the height of your career, you were sharing with your peers and bosses that you have OCD, but you're actually saying the words out loud. What gave you, I guess, the courage to say that? Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I remember at Allure, you know, I, I worked at Allure twice. I was the beauty director. And there are a lot of OCD hazards in being a beauty editor if you are scared of blood or red. So like, I have this weird fear of blood. I think everything's contaminated. And I think everything red is blood, even though I know it's not, right? Like I'll see a marker and the editor-in-chief always writes in a red pen, right? So there'd be like red smears on things. A, there's that. And then I became the editor-in-chief and I wrote in a red pen and I'm still scared by my own smears, but whatever. There's red lipstick. There's like red nail polish. There's everything all over the place. Like, right? Like I'd see a red nail polish and there'd be like nail polish spill on the bottle and I'd still be like, is it blood? You know, like, like I say this phrase, is, wait, is that blood? Um, it became kind of like a catchphrase, which was fine because it's like kind of funny. But so my team at Allure knew this because like, right, like we would get in products that we'd be doing the blobs or whatever. And they'd be like, oh, okay, we'll take care of that. Or right, like one year for Allure, Allure has something called editor's favorites as well as their regular best of beauty. And in editor's favorites, I mean, in, in reader's favorites, one year we called in people's used makeup products to show like how much they loved them, right? So we were getting in like lipsticks, like half used and crumbled. And I was like, my assistant at the time, this woman, Lauren, who is now like a VC or something, was like, don't worry, I'm going to open it all for like, and it was like a very like kind, thoughtful, I just I don't ever feel like anyone was making fun of me, to be honest, like in the workplace, who at least who knew me, right. And so I don't know, I just I never really thought about not talking about it. And I didn't talk about it publicly, but it wasn't on purpose, right? I just, I started doing that at Women's Health because then I like kind of had a platform where we were talking about women's health and mental health. And that's when I started talking about it publicly. But I don't know. I don't know if it's, you know, OCD and, you know, you and I talked about this a little bit before, but like, it's kind of the socially acceptable mental illness, quote unquote, for, for the podcast, right? Where because it's been, because it's a thing that got misconstrued as this like, 
thing about neatness or whatever. I'm like literally the least neat person. Like I have piles all over the place. People somehow like accepted it or right like there was that show Monk or like I, you know I, I don't know and like it became it became quirky and so now there's this whole movement to say I'm not just quirky. OCD's not quirky, right? Mm -hmm. But like I, right, looking back, it's like, well, is that why it was okay for me to say it? What would I have said it if I, right? Like people would be like, you're brave because you talked about it. And I'm like, am I? Or is it just that like OCD was like more acceptable to say than like, you know, bipolar disorder, or borderline mm -hmm. personality disorder, or even depression at the time, you know? Yeah. I mean, it would be a minefield even today to say like, oh, um, I'm bipolar or oh, I'm an addict or oh, I'm, you know depressed, right? Like, it's really fascinating that you're in an environment where you were able to not just say it, but yeah. um, be yourself, right? So I would imagine that some people are really afraid to be themselves yeah. with, let's say, their contamination OCD, right? You know, even though it's on their mind all day long, they, they're probably trying to find a thousand workarounds. Totally. And I mean, right, this. if you get on TikTok, I'm working on a big package about this, you will talk, you will hear people talking about masking. And that is essentially depending on what your condition is or whatever you basically okay I'm going to work now and now it's this me right and it's like I'm hiding these things it's very exhausting because other mental health conditions can cause other types of issues that are less tolerated right or you know or when people don't less tolerate in the workplace either because people don't understand them or it affects the work and the workplace hasn't figured out how to accommodate it properly right so right you know um, we just ran a story from a woman also in the media industry who has ADHD and bipolar 2, which is a form of bipolar that's a little less severe than bipolar 1, but it did affect her work, right? She had lots of issues with deadlines, focus, all of these things, but she wasn't, she didn't have the diagnoses yet and she wasn't getting the right treatment yet. And so like, that's a whole nother mm -hmm. minefield, like getting through all that stuff. But because of that, mm -hmm. like when you don't A, know what's going on with your you don't know how to say that to your workplace. And then B, you know, even if you do know that's the case, even mental health organizations will say, yes, it's great if we can all speak up. But like, legally, it's hard to tell someone, yes, you should just be blunt and open at the workplace. I mean, I, uh, as a boss, I have had many, many people divulge to me their, their mental health concerns because I've been so open about it, right? And we all hope to work at workplaces that are open to these things. And I think it's starting to become a thing that people are like, oh, right. Like, like if we have people of different like mindset skills, we could actually use that. <laughs> right? like, that's actually better, right? Because people think in different ways and we might end up with better solutions rather than everybody thinks the same way. But, you know, I'm, I'm divulging here, but I, I think it's, um, it's very tricky in the workplace. You know, I was, um, I think this was like during COVID or right, like, you know, on the tail end of like the restrictive COVID, I was um, a writer, mm -hmm. sent, writer for, I think it was like a business newspaper article, sent me questions about like mental health in the workplace. Cause like as an agency, we have like a lot of things in place that I, I would call them less mental health and just more like, you know, yeah. emotional freedom and, you know, room to breathe kind of things. And they were asking me questions about like, you know, what do you do when someone comes to you with, you know, a mental health situation. And I'm like, I'm not answering these questions. I am not a doctor. Yeah. This is not like I, I run a business like this is there's there's this, I think, mix up or confusion around like mental health disorders or orders or whatever we want to call them and having room for your brain to breathe because work is hard. Well, yeah. Right? And I think not the actually same during May, Mental Health Awareness Month, there's also conversation saying mental health is not mental illness, you know, 
we all have mental health, right? And we can all have, right. you know, right. but, but you can have a mental yes. illness, which, you know, whether or not you like that word or not, um, I don't know how I feel. It, it makes me feel a little weird. I'd rather say I have a mental health condition, but to each his own um, or right. her own, I should say. I don't know why I'm still saying that. Their own, to each their own. We're just humans. Just their own. But it's, it, right, it, 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 gets, it gets lumped in with this general, like, wellness, you know? Right. Right. Like, I can help my team by saying, okay, let's not work on Friday, or let's have some more Fridays, or, you know, subsidized gym memberships, or whatever it is, so that they can, like, feel more whole because work is hard, and, you know, there's a lot of pressures, and I want them to, you know, feel good going to work. That is not the same as an employee coming to me and saying, I have a mental illness. This is my diagnosis. Totally. What should I do? I'm like, you know, I'm not a doctor. Right. So I think that we really need, and also all of the, um, the legal ramifications from an employment, legal employment perspective of like, what can be divulged, how, a, how a supervisor should handle this. This is all like really a, a new world. Right. I mean, and it can be a minefield, right? It, it really depends on your boss and your corporation because mm -hmm. legally you're not supposed to discriminate for these things, but say you divulge and three months down the road you get let go and they say oh but it was your work and you know like it, it's just impossible right um so mm -hmm. you really have to kind of I mean I'm not the one really to answer this either because I'm not a workplace mental health expert but you, you kind of have to see like who you're dealing with there and, and like what the corporate policies are um and I as a, have been a boss of very large teams um at women's health I had a team of 40 I also worked a corporate job where I had a team of 50 um and have had people you know it, it's very hard because we've had people who would take off and say I'm and, and Gen Z is much more open about this and I had a lot of Gen Zers mm -hmm. in my last job and and they would they would just outwardly say right I am in a bout of depression, I need to take a week off or X, Y, Z. And it's sort of like, we just have to figure out a system where the work can still get done, right? Because, but like physical health, you'd never be like, oh, you have to be out for surgery for a week? <laughs> How dare you, right? And so mm -hmm. like our mind snaps to like, oh, great. But like, why are we thinking that way? Because if you had to go get a physical health treatment or you were, I, I don't know, you, you, you had to be at a hospital for a while, we wouldn't, penalize you for having a physical problem. It's really interesting right. where like John Fetterman, you know, the senator recently mm -hmm. went to mental health treatment and was just like, I'm going. And like, that was like kind of an amazing thing because it's like, you need help, you got the help, you know? Okay, so I love this um, topic of like lines, roads, um, and where they crisscross. So you're, we're talking about like, I am in a crisis and I need support. And that might be, you know, hospitalization, outpatient, you know, whatever. Then there is that, well, how do you contribute to this um, ecosystem of work when you're not in a crisis? Yeah. Right? And I think, I mean, right, that's something that I think is just emerging of how people are going to, right, be able to accommodate people's various needs and how they can contribute right and it, it can be certain small things as such as like you know do we all have to turn the camera on do we all have to do this mm -hmm. right if you have a certain um anxiety issue that that involves right like speaking in front of people now we're all on camera all the time like what so I, I just a lot of people just aren't even thinking about that it's just like get on camera or you know and i'm just using that as an example but um right. or you know say you really struggle in the mornings. Well, right, could you talk to your boss? We did a story about this and the, you know, the expert opinion was like, obviously, suss out who your boss is and the company. But if you could ask for an accommodation where 
you start at 10 a.m. or whatever, and but but you know you have to be there at those Friday meetings that everybody's there, you know. Mm-hmm. But then you work an extra hour after the fact or whatever. I don't know. You know, it's really a minefield, right? Because there's so many things, but we do work around people's physical health schedules, and so in some way, as human beings, we have to figure out a way to still get business done, you know. Right. But but work around people's mental health. Right. So I would say that when we when we look at it from the perspective of like, you know, I need surgery on my leg, of course, everyone's like, okay, you're going to go to the hospital and then you're going to be recuperating, you know, under medication in your under your covers for a week. So that's the crisis, right? Then there's the, um, I guess, repair mode or, you know, on the mend. Okay. So obviously you can't get in the car and drive to the office. So you're going to work, but you're going to work from home. Right. So then we're starting to build, um, like you said, like opportunities to have accommodations set. Mm -hmm. But I think the difference with some of the physical things is that in people's minds, the manager's mind, the business owner's mind, this will, this will pass. And then Susie will, might be back to, you know, her legs working just fine. Well, the goal, obviously, for mental health is for you to be functioning better um, if you're getting treatment, you know? Right. And that's absolutely possible. So, that, so right, you come out of the crisis situation, the goal and the hope would be that you would be able to function. But I think there are physical, like people who have chronic physical conditions or mm-hmm. are in a wheelchair, like that's a constant state. Right. But we can see those, right? That's the difference, right? And those are, there are accommodations made. We can see those. Well, we can see those for a lot of, for a lot of things. And I think that's when people, yeah, people don't, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. true of physical illnesses that people Mm -hmm. also can't see things like fibromyalgia or like chronic fatigue syndrome or things like that, where you look normal. And so people don't get it. And they're like, what's wrong with you? But I think we're, we're going to have to make accommodations, particularly because Gen Z is not going to take it. The other element of this, I think, is as humans, we just don't, and we're not, um, if you're not a doctor, you don't know a lot about the stuff. So what what are you seeing? Oh, bipolar, that's the end. It's over. Like this person's never going to be a contributor. Or they're going to be awful to deal with, right? Like, so we have stories in our heads from movies, TV, whatever, of what how this shows up. So I think as a public of collection of people who work and have people reporting to them and want to create success in their careers, there's all misinformation or no information about how is this going to show up on an everyday basis when this person's not in crisis, right? There's probably a lot of doubt that this person can because we just don't, you know, we're not informed. Well, yes. And, you know, that is one of the things that mm-hmm. can happen when you do divulge. You may not be getting the promotion or the big project or the thing because of misconceptions. I think that's part of the mission of mental, right? To like have these stories that are like what it's like to live and work with this, right? Uh, Like and how I got through it and how I went through it. And I think the more people have to kind of take it upon themselves to educate themselves a little bit here too, right? Because Mm -hmm. most of these conditions, many of them can be highly managed and you can like do all the things or do most of the things or figure out a way to do the things if you're being treated, right? And I think it's why, right, like old school, old school media or, you know, movies or whatever would depict mental health in a very certain way as like, well, you're never going to function in society, right? Whereas now things are far more nuanced, right? I mean, like, look at Homeland. Hi, you know, the Claire Danes character had bipolar disorder. There's a lot of things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, I also Mm -hmm. would say, there's probably people working for you who have these conditions and you don't even know because I have people coming to me telling me they have conditions all the time that they aren't divulging. So, you know, yes, we, we really we really do need to like bust through the stigma of some of these things by really dispelling the myths of 
what we've created in our mind of what it means. And I think that's like the more people come out and talk about whether it's celebrities or everyday humans talk about having X condition or X disorder and getting through it. It's really powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of therapists now who talk about themselves having had anxiety or depression or going to therapy and this and that. And that like, you know, did not used to be the case, right? Because people be like, well, no one is going to want to come to me if I say that I, myself, you know, it's like, it's, it, you know, it's a cycle, but um, hopefully we're starting to change. One of our listeners, Anna wrote duty to accommodate is part of human rights. I agree. I, I agree. I mean, I also think that like, it's going to become like the thing where first there was like no women in the C-suite, right? And then all the studies started coming out saying that like companies are actually more productive mm-hmm. and make more revenue when you have women at the top. And I think it would be very interesting. And I hope someone starts doing these studies to see when you've got a group of neurodivergent people with different minds and different mindsets and come at, come at problems in a different way. If you could harness that, it would be good for business. It's just you have to allow it to happen, right? Or you have to say, you know, okay, this person's going to work in this way, but like what they're contributing is like really rounding out. Like we're not all coming at this with the same like problem solution. So, yeah. I mean, that's I'm sure down the road, but but like that would be the hope. There's a lot of work to do here, but I think like some other... Um... I'll call them social justices and then workplace topics, like we can make change pretty quickly, right? As um, not every organization will change, but I think there's, you know, something like mine, like we're all really interested in this and invested in it. And by the way, that number of that 50% of people will have mental illnesses, I think it's way more. Like, I don't know how it could only be half the population. Reported, right, reported. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure it is. It's just like, that's who has divulged, right? Those, yeah, that's who's reported. And so you can become an organization, I can't remember the exact name, but NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, has a set oh. of sort of guidelines that if your company will follow that, you can have like that stamp of like, we are a, you know, NAMI type business. And, um, you know, I did a lot of partnerships with them at Women's health they're 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 a great organization they're one of the top mental health um nonprofits and so i think as that starts to happen and and that you know again i I don't know why i'm making this connection between women-owned businesses right but like there's a seal of approval here right now right of like women-owned businesses and so like it's like nami kind of has that going now for businesses that will Mm -hmm. you know agree Mm -hmm. to this kind of like credo they have okay i'm gonna my and shout Message to my team, we want to research NAMI and see. Um, yeah. So thank you awesome. for educating us on that. Okay. We are um, nearing the end of our interview portion of the show, Amy. So I want to say thank you for sharing your wisdom. I still have like 40 questions that we didn't get through, <laughs> but um, I want to save room for our game and fan questions. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing thank your you. wisdom and your, it's moving that you're spending, you know, you, you, you put your whole career into this. And I think it's really speaks to how important this is and what a white space it is from a communications perspective, yeah. and a messaging perspective. And I'm grateful that you spent time with us today. Oh, thank you so much. Okay. This is a very good question. And it actually comes from my um, company's COO, Eleni. Is contamination hmm. OCD similar to being a germaphobe? I wonder if I've been using the wrong words for how I feel. Hmm. That's a really interesting question. I don't know the clinical definition of germaphobe, but I would consider myself a germaphobe. And I would say like at, at its heart, yes, probably. Um, at the same time, it's like how severe is the germaphobia, right? This, this is always what distinguishes like a mental health disorder from just like none of us want to like reach into a pile of poop. You know what I mean? Like that's just gross. So is your germaphobia 
affecting your daily life in a way that's like interfering with like life and work and this and that. So I think germ phobia is probably a bigger, a broader name. And if you have it in such a way that it is affecting you, it could be contamination OCD. Right. So it's a difference between being grossed out by gross stuff versus not leaving the house because you're so overwhelmed by the potential for gross stuff. Right. Or like having your thoughts on loop. Like every time I shake someone's hand, if I can't get to the Purell, I'm thinking about it. I remember mm-hmm. it. It's, an hour's gone by. I need the Purell. I remember it. I wash my hands 80 times a day. They're like so dried out. I have the best hand cream. You know, like I have sanitizer in every purse. Like I have to, right? Like I, I ask people to wash their hands, right? It's not just like, I will say to normal people like, oh my God, you know, like, okay, you're at a bar. You go to the bathroom. The like, this is like TMI, but like, right, like the pee splashes off the seat and onto your leg and you're like, ah, normal people, normal people, quote unquote, will just be like, oh yeah, I thought it was gross, but then I like moved on. Like I won't move on. I'll be like, my legs are contaminated. Now I can't wear these pants again. When I get home, I have to take the pants off. I'm going to jump in the shower. Right. So like there's a whole series of events that surround that. So I think you could be a germaphobe without having contamination OCD. All right. Let's just go back to a moment because I want to understand this a little bit more. So thank you for the TMI reference, the, the bathroom splash. As your mind is spinning through these thoughts and you're, you know, taking it farther to like getting the pants dry cleaned, is what's happening that you're so focused on your thoughts that you're, you're not present with, let's say, your friends at the bar? Like, is it taking you out of... It, it can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it definitely can. I think it also depends on the person, right? It depends on the severity of the OCD. I mean, I, I don't know. No one's ever told me this, but I, I think I, I, I have like a mild to moderate version, right? Like I, I can go out, I can do things, I can like... I, but I mean, I've also had like therapy, I take medication, I do all the things. So right, but there are people who literally like cannot, as you said, leave the house for fear of like having to touch other things. I mean, I have a really hard time in hotels. It really takes the joy out of <laughs> fancy hotels because there's always a spot. There's always something. There's a hair. I mean, I will see it, right? It, it's it's like, or right, like no one else is even noticing. The beautiful white fluffy towels. Oh, there's like a slight discoloration. Like my eye like right. zones into it. And I'll be like, oh, I can't use it now. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it can take you out of the moment or it could just, right, like I'm just waiting to like solve it, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and the goal of OCD therapy is to allow yourself to have the thoughts and just like move on and go go on about it. I'm not quite as evolved. Right. I'm not quite there yet, but um, yeah. So you're, it's not about learning to not have the thoughts because that's not honoring who you are. Yeah, it's about you just saying, okay, the thought is ha- happening, but I'm, I'm going to acknowledge that it was happening and then move on with my day. Yeah. I mean, it's not even about acknowledging. It's not even like honoring who you are. It's more that you cannot control thoughts, like intrusive thoughts. We recently did a story on this. Everyone has intrusive thoughts. So a thing pops into your brain, it might be disturbing or whatever. If you don't have like a mental health condition around this, right, it kind of goes out. If you do, it's like in there, you're like, oh my God, do I really think this? Am I a horrible person? Why is that popping into my brain? Why am I, oh my God, am I going to actually do that? Am I going to, and so you'll try, like your instinct would be to like push it away and be like, I'm not thinking of that. I'm distracted. Like the way to actually allow these thoughts, you have like what therapists will say. And again, I'm not a therapist, but I've done a lot of research and talked to a ton of people. What they say is you have to allow the thought to come in and you have to be like, hey, thought, okay, you're here. Mm-hmm. But like, you're just a thought. You're not an action, mm-hmm. right? You, you just are. You're there. I mean, I literally interviewed um, an artist the other day, a, a singer, who said she has like this intrusive thought named Shimei. Shame. Shimei. And now she's like learning how to have combos with Shimei. And so <laughs> I, 
that, you know, some people will name their OCD. They'll be like, oh, hey, so-and-so, you know. Um, I don't really have a name for my OCD, and and I need to get better about this. But but you have to, like, you have to go, like, the thoughts are not who I am as a human being. Like, look at my behavior, mm -hmm. right? If I was, like, an evil human being, I'd be, like, doing all these things. The fact is, with OCD, you are so anti the thought, and you have to, like, remember that. And, you, you right, the goal is to, like, sort of let it in, accept it, acknowledge it. And then eventually it loses power. Right. I mean, I guess it's it's like anything in life, right? Like the more you like kind of like hold on to it, like the more power it has over you when you can just kind of be like, yeah, okay. Like you're able to kind of move on. I love that I got to meet you because this is so exciting for me to learn about <laughs> all this. I We have no time left for more fan questions, but I do want to bring something a little full circle to early in your career. You said you were like really into science and learning about like you're doing that now again. Like you're like e even <laughs> deeper, right? I'm sure. I know I I I want to I want to go back and actually uh, become a therapist. Um, I used to want to become a cosmetic chemist because I was like I'll be the best beauty editor ever, and now I'm like I need to be a therapist. Well, I mean, you're making an impact, right? And you get Thank to make you. an impact not just one on one, which you would do as a therapist, but with you know a, a much larger population, and you're getting a conversation starter started that needs to to happen. And thank you for all the advice and guidance. Well, thank you. Me. So I feel like I'm ready. I appreciate that. <laughs> You're gonna like have a good May. Thank you so much, Amy. And thank you so much for joining us, everyone who listened in. If you like this episode, please rate and review. And as always, make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast platform and Instagram to stay up to date on upcoming episodes and all the fun we have along the way. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.